So nice to see so many of you joining us on a beautiful afternoon at 5 p.m. on a Wednesday Eastern time. We know you're all so busy, but we're also really excited about this program put together, uh, co-organized by the Asian American Asian Research Institute at CUNY, also known as ARI, as well as the Hunter College Asian American Studies Program and co-sponsored by the BMCC Hunter AANAPISI Bridge Initiative, and that stands for Asian American, Native American, Pacific Islander Serving Institutions Initiative, as well as the same initiative by Hunter College's AANAPISI Project and BMCC's, the Borough of Manhattan Community College's Asian Heritage Month. Thank you all so much for joining us. My name is Vivian Lee. I'll be your host and moderator for this event where we will be holding a discussion about what went into the making of Happy Cleaners. And I'm also very happy to proclaim that I'm co-chair of the board at Korean American Story, which was a producer of this film, along with the filmmakers, um, Julian Kim, Kat Kim, and Peter Lee. And I'm also a uh, correspondent at CUNY TV's Asian American Life. It's a magazine show that looks at all things Asian American across the United States, but mostly geared uh, towards uh, Asian American and Pacific Islander culture in the New York City area. So it is a deep pleasure of mine to be able to be part of this today and to have been asked to help you guys get this discussion going. So this is how the rundown is gonna go. First of all, if everyone could please make sure they are on mute, that would be very helpful. Feel free to keep your video on. We love to see who is part of this community that is so interested in Happy Cleaners and the making of it. And um, what we're gonna start with is a trailer. We're gonna show the trailer of the film just to um, get everybody's juices flowing again, because it may have been a while since you last saw the film. Uh, then we're going to hear responses to the film from two students, an alum, and a member of the faculty. And they will be lobbing out questions for the filmmakers to think about. Uh, they will not be answered though until the discussion with the filmmakers begins shortly after those presentations from those four guests. And then we're gonna open it up to you on the floor. We want you to use the chat box. We have people monitoring the chat box who will then be feeding me uh, the questions. And often in forums such as this, you may have noticed that uh, the same question gets answered uh, again and again, or qu questioned, um, the same question gets asked again and again. And so what we're going to try and do is really uh, narrow that down um, to just one incident for each question. And hopefully we can get everybody's um, burning queries about how this film was made uh, answered. So um, there are some people behind the scenes that you cannot see, including the program coordinator for ARI, Anthony Wong, who I like to think of as the man behind the curtain, a la Wizard of Oz. And he's going to be rolling the trailer right now. How long did you have this business? We have been here for 17 years. It's not my fault you live like this! No, what am I gonna leave behind? I inherited all this debt and struggle from my parents because their American dream fell apart. Are you gonna work like this forever? Why can't you respect my decision? Yeah, come here! Anna. Hmm? You ever wonder if our families blessed or cursed? 
this is our story, couldn't decide for me, but I'm not living wondering, yo man if I only, I'm gonna make it here cause my mama deserve it, she tried to make my life perfect with some laundry detergent. It's just the fate of being children of immigrants, and it's even embedded in our ethnicity, in a form of a hyphen. And thank you to Anthony for playing that trailer. I got to say, when I first saw this film, I think it's already been a few years now since it was released, 2019, right? It was like right before the pandemic. Uh, and I remember feeling so, um, I know we hear this expression a lot these days, seen. Um, I felt seen because it reflected so much of my own life, but I know that a lot of immigrant families go through this. You don't have to be AAPI to understand that. And it really brought to life the tensions that exist when a family has multiple generations in it, uh, is here in New York City, let alone in America. And I was so thankful, really thankful to the filmmakers for being able to encapsulate an experience that is really universal, I think, for, for a lot of us. And I think that's what brings us together. And it's also why we asked a particular handful of people to start off this discussion by weighing in with how and why they were affected by this film. And we're going to start with Isabel Laus. She's a student at Hunter College. And if I butchered your name, I'm sorry. <laughs> but uh, we welcome her first up to tell us how she felt about this film and something in particular that resonated with her as well as uh, a question to the team that they can mull over as we then listen to the next three guests following Isabel. So Isabel Laos, could you please start us off? Hi, thanks so much for having me. And yeah, you pronounced pronounce my name perfectly. That's great. Um, thank you. So yes, my name is Isabel Laos. I'm a student at Hunter College. And I'd like to say that this whole film resonated with me. Like Vivian just said it, like um, I really felt seen when I watched this movie, um, I saw myself and my older brother as Tony and Kevin and my parents and theirs. Um, I even went to school, high school in Flushing and lived in Queens my whole life. So it felt really surreal being able to see such familiar settings that I used to see every day on screen. And I really think that it's important that people my age, um, even both second and first generation are able to see this movie because uh, like I said, it allows us to feel seen and heard and really be able to see our stories on um, a screen that we don't normally get to see. Um, and at least for me, it was really able to capture the story of second gen kids, how our biculturalism and the duality of our identity um, really kind of sets us apart from our parents and dictates how we navigate between our two cultures. And it also really brought to light how as we get older, um, we realize that our parents are human too, that they have their own sets of baggage and struggles. And we saw it in the trailer how um, Kevin and Yoni were discussing um, their life and whether if it was a blessing or a curse. And that's something that I was really also that I also really identify with and relate to. And she says um, it wasn't shown in the trailer, but in the movie is like, oh, um, if we do well, they'll be well or something like that. And I felt that really hit close to home because that's something that I tend to contend with because um, we understand the sacrifices that our parents 
made to give us a better chance in America. And we feel this pressure of like wanting to give back to our parents. And sometimes that can be difficult. Um, but seeing that um, whole interaction really made me feel seen because I honestly probably had the same conversation with my older brother um, a few years back. Um, so it's like really important to see movies like this because it really allows us to like reconcile with our own woes and our parents' woes and see ourselves on a screen and in narratives that are really much like our own. And like, as Vivian said, I was thinking that um, many of us uh, can relate to this kind of narrative and it makes us feel connected to each other, being able to see um, this on screen. Um, and I do like at the end of the movie that we don't really get an explicitly happy ending, I guess, so to speak, in a lot of like American feel-good movies. Like uh, from everything in this movie, it was really accurate from the social, social dynamics of, between the family. Like um, no one really explicitly said, I'm sorry, but they kind of just had like a silent, um, I forgive you, uh, kind of getting back into each other's graces kind of thing. Um, and everything about this was like was like very accurate to my own life. And it allows us to see like a kind of happiness and contentment with our family that's not in really in um, magnificent kind of feats, but uh, just kind of like trying to come back to each other, home to each other and trying to understand and love each other despite the differences that we have between our parents and our families, um, parents, families and ourselves. And I guess another thing that I wanted to point out was um, how Danny, the boyfriend of Hyoni, was like um, talking about the American dream and how the American dream for their parents had failed. And my question was like, um, what is your opinion of the American dream? Is it an ideal that we should still strive for? Is it something um, that hurts or benefits us now? Um, yeah, but again, thank you so much for making this film. I really liked it. That's great. Thank you for those comments and uh, uh, starting us off so well. And I, I, I really like your question because um, it points to how you're right there. It was inconclusive, but there was something aspirational at the end of the movie that I think let everyone go away with something to think about. And um, that, that was very a very personal thing. Like you, you came away seeing something that you realize a lot of people share in, but um, there was also something personal that you could think about for yourself uh, and maybe for the generations of one's own family. So thank you for those comments, Isabel. We're next gonna move on to Julia Chen, who's a student as well at Hunter College. So Julia, maybe you could tell us how the movie affected you and what some of the key points were for you and any questions you had for the filmmakers. Yes, uh, of course. So when I was watching the film, you know, I was expecting to really like, um, I, so I'm the eldest child of restaurant workers. So my, my, my own family runs restaurant, like ever since like I was born, they've been in some kind of like restaurant owner business, like, um, I guess, um, endeavor. And that's like their life work because that's the only skill set they know. So when I saw this film, I saw like, you know, two parents trying to run a business by themselves. I saw, I, I really expected myself to, you know, be, I guess, emotionally, like really emotionally moved by it. And I noticed that, um, when I was watching the film, when the customer, the rude customer came in, and, you know, essentially we're kind of bullying the parents. I, I kind of saw myself in that position because they don't really, you know, immigrant parents, 
they're trying their best to satisfy their customers, yet they have a business to run and, you know, profits to make. Otherwise, they can't, they can't support their families. And I was just like, I, I was just really glad that that was like kind of like captured on film because that's like just a reality that some people just don't think about. You know, it worked. A lot of people think, you know, we're the customer. We don't really think about the business owners and what their lives are like. So, and then I also saw my since Hyuni was also the older sister of the family. Um, I also related to her in terms of like how eventually at the end of the movie, her mother says that she's fiercely independent. And I felt like ever since um, my parents just saw, uh, they were always working late nights, every single day, 365 days a year. I felt like that's just kind of the responsibility that the eldest has to take. And so when she's relating with her uh, little brother, kind of like they kind of, I saw they kind of, they kind of bonded over the fact that they were, you know, that they had each other in this like difficult um, family situation where the business is like stressful on the family, but it's also the means of supporting their family. So they kind of just created like a special bond that I feel like, um, without like this restaurant business they or like you know any sort of business like a uh, dry cleaning it's just they wouldn't have that kind of like friendship and like reliability on each other so I really felt like uh I didn't expect that to be on film either and um I also wanted to I was also expecting to see something that I didn't really see in my own family um experiences which is the relationship between the parents so even though there were some scenes that captured kind of like um I believe the mother was was projecting her own feelings on her relationship with her husband and the kids' father onto Hyuni and I was just thinking like we kind of see the father's reaction but we don't really see like any conversation between them because that's probably just something that doesn't happen like relationship discussions in Asian families and that doesn't happen in my family either I don't see that either so I was wondering like what kind of message or I guess like what kind of um situation were the filmmakers trying to communicate by having like no no discussion at all you know between it even though she said the mother said something so hurtful like implies something very hurtful about her own marriage to their father so yeah, I really enjoyed watching this movie and um, I'm looking forward to my answer being, uh, you know, my, an answer to my question because it was just, it was just so interesting. So thank you. Thank you, Julia. Um, you actually raised a couple of points that I think I remember thinking too, but didn't explicitly um, ask the filmmakers uh, when we had previous discussions about the film. So thank you for raising that. It's kind of like sometimes the unsaid says more, right? Even in a film. <laughs> so maybe that had something to do with it. Thank you for that. Um, really appreciate you uh, giving your, your thoughts and chiming in there. Next, we're going to hear from an alum of Hunter College, Ling Ren, who's standing by with uh, some of his takes. Um, hi, everyone. Nice to meet everyone. My name's Ling. I am a alum of um, Hunter College, and I'm actually currently still a student at um, another college at Baruch um, doing my master's. So I, I guess I'm an alum, but also a current student. 
um, you know, this film resonated with me in, you know, many different ways, like Julia has uh, kind of mentioned. And I think on the flip side, I am actually the younger sibling in my family and I have an older sister. Um, so, you know, there are a couple of things that resonated with me, particularly in this kind of relationship. One is, I guess, you know, we could see in the film that the sister is definitely pulling, putting, putting in more weight, you know, taking care of the family, taking care of the, the, you know, the dynamics of it, you know, being like a, you know, a model kind of like Asian daughter to, um, to the family versus where the son is like, you know, kind of a little half-assed on a lot of things, but, you know, we could still see like mom is like, you know, super harsh on like the relationship, like kind of goals with the daughter, but not so much so with the son, even though he's like flunking out of school. So I definitely felt that like growing up, I felt like my parents were definitely harsher on my older sister than I was. I don't know, you know, the particular reasons to why, um, but that's definitely something um, that kind of resonated with me um, in that in that in that film when I was watching it. Um, I think another thing that particularly resonated with me was um, like words of affirmation, right? But we know as Asian parents, they don't really say like "I'm so proud of you" and stuff like that. They kind of do it, you know, through actions. So when I saw the um, the snippet at the end where the mom actually used those words, like "Hey, I'm proud of you," and you know, I saw that the kind of tears coming out um, of the main character, I was like, wow, that's that's a really powerful scene because, you know, we, we don't hear that often from our kind of immigrant parents. At least, you know, I don't, but um, I don't you know that that kind of resonated with me. And um, I just to share a little bit, like how my mom would like kind of like uh, give words of affirmation would be like this. A good example is I heard her over the phone the other day. And instead of saying, like, I'm proud of my son, it's like, he does his own laundry. <laughs> so like very small things and kind of like that, that's like a compliment. And that's like, you know, you, you should take it and run with it. Um, but yeah, those two particular things really resonate with me. It's, you know, the dynamics of a, of a, a you know, older sibling, younger sibling inside a, a family. And then, you know, just the words of affirmation between communication between the parents and their kids. Um, and just, you know, leading with that, like two questions I had was um, for the filmmakers. One, was there like a specific reason for you guys to choose two siblings instead of the only, focusing on only child or like three or four or a bigger family? Um, so just that that's one of the questions. And then also the other question I had was also watching the end of the film. I do think it ended in a really nice way, but I guess I wasn't expecting the ending to be like that. I thought maybe they'll be sending him off to LA and like the airport and also be like a family together. But I guess my, you know, I'm intrigued to see like, was there a particular reason why, you know, it's at a table with food involved or was there like a, choice um, that went particularly into it at the very end but yeah I really like the film I really enjoyed um, watching it so thank you guys thank you Ling um, I, I love your questions and can't wait to hear the answers uh, from the filmmakers who seem to be uh, nodding in total agreement with a lot of the questions that have been asked um, finally we're going to hear from Alex Ho he's a faculty member of the Asian American Studies uh, department at both Borough of Manhattan Community College and at Brooklyn College. So, Alex, your turn. Thank you so much, Vivian, and um, so excited to um, be in conversation about this film. Um, yes, I'm um, an adjunct lecturer at Borough of Manhattan Community College and um, Brooklyn College, um, teaching Asian American history and a few other related classes. Um, and um, yeah, just hearing about, about um, our, our other student panelists' re re resonances, um, uh, I had something written down, and I thought, oh, I, I didn't even re talk about direct direct resonances, and certainly, um, yeah, it, um, it made me realize 
wow, yeah, there's just so much in the in the movie that's really um, helping us to look at family dynamics and um, uh, and so so I I, I think I straight up just the the first thing that comes to my mind is just the 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 proposition uh yeah in the beginning of the movie of of, of the daughter saying um you know i we our parents thought that they would achieve the american dream and what now you know at this later moment in our family's story and i think that is that does kind of resonate with me as uh uh um someone who's getting older and um who um I, th I think the power of a movie like this is that, yeah, many uh, Asian Americans are starved for no knowing about the continuity of communities, um, and it can sometimes feel lonely. Um, um, uh, so, so yeah. And the other, I think, thing that I wrote down that really resonated with me was um, uh, just the scenes of the dinner. <laughs> and the preparation of food and the ambient sounds of those scenes had a really tactile, alive quality that, um, even though I'm not Korean, <laughs> um, I'm Taiwanese American, I still nonetheless, you know, um, uh, just felt so much, um, just on a subconscious level, just, uh, a feeling of, of just, of, you know, closeness and comfort. And I also thought that on, on the flip side, obviously the family was also kind of a, an intense claustrophobic space. So it was really intense that the movie was only, about, you know, about the, this, this family. So, um, uh, yeah. And, um, um, and so, so yeah, just having that, um, uh, that whole, uh, subject matter of, um, uh, of, um, of, 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 of what the family life looks like, um, was, um, a really, really great experience. Um, the other thing I, um, prepared to talk about was a little bit of, um, uh, uh, how, how movies like this really help, um, faculty like myself, um, uh, tackle, uh, the subject matter that we're, we're asked to, uh, uh, really teach, uh, you know, Asian American history. Um, I, um, I, uh, also studied film and media studies as a college student and, um, I continued to use it as I kind of developed my, um, interests, um, into more into informal education and, arts education settings. And I, I continue to just find it really important to, uh, teach around, um, thinking about visual culture and visual artifacts. Um, uh, and, and I also want, you know, my students to be mindful of, um, uh, I'm sorry, do, am I over on time? <laughs> oh, you're, you're uh, fine. Okay, uh, um, just m mindful of uh, mass media as a social institution with, you know, power dynamics. So, um, but but e even in spite of uh, my interest in film, I, I sometimes do struggle to find the right kinds of films for the purposes of my classes. And I, I don't just want to stick to documentary and not get to explore the, the emotional possibilities of dramatic storytelling, but I also don't want to silo away 
documentary, and I want my students to understand rhetorical vice, devices of film and media language and not just to take a piece, you know, to look critically and not just to take things at face value. And, um, and uh, uh, this film and an, another film that I uh, uh, was able to show at a class uh, due to navigating more with local filmmakers um, has really helped me um, engage my students' sense of belonging. Um, and so um, I, uh, so, uh, um, you know, uh, it, it just in this semester teaching this uh, film, um, uh, one of my students really, uh, really, really appreciated the depiction of, of family pressure competing with one's dreams. And um, I think I'm, I'm going to end with uh, my qu question uh, kind of uh, tying to, um, uh, you know, how these films really serve to uphold community is um, uh, asking uh, how does activism and community expression inform the filmmaking team's artistic work? And did the experience of making this movie, uh, 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 did, did it, uh, change over time and 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 transform your relationship to your community yeah. great questions um without further ado i want to move right into introducing the filmmakers of happy cleaners um but before i did that i would be remiss if i didn't also mention uh some other key people who are with us on this panel who are not necessarily participating but they had a huge hand in not only the film, but bringing us all together. Um, they are, of course, Dr. Sonia Munshi, who is the interim executive director of ARI, and H.J. Lee, who is the uh, intrepid uh, executive director of Korean American Story, um, and who helped to bring me on to the organization uh, many years ago. So uh, I just wanted to acknowledge their presence here and how important they are to um, not only this film, but a lot of efforts to try and expand um, and deepen an understanding of what our Asian American collective experience and community uh, are all about. So now I'd like to introduce you to the people who made Happy Cleaners uh, after a lot of thought and hard work. Um, they are the people behind Jebby Productions, which uh, collectively they are known as. But uh, Julie, if you can just raise your hand, Julian Kim. Uh, is one of the producers. Peter Lee is another producer. Kat Kim is also a producer and writer, I believe, correct? Or did it, did, does everybody share the, was, that, that was, everybody did. Okay, so here we have three people behind uh, the making of Happy Cleaners. And let's start off with, let's go in order first, before we start taking questions from our uh, our guests who have joined us, and hopefully you're typing in your questions into the chat room. I'm not checking it out, but uh, Dr. Munshi is, um, so that we can then get questions from the floor. But I'm going to start off uh, in order, and maybe all of you can weigh in on on this one. When uh, Isabel asked, "Is the American dream still worth something?" Uh, that we strive for, because it, it, I think anywhere around the world, when you have immigrant communities land, um, they've got something like the American dream. But in America, 
it carries some very heavy weight and a lot of expectations in a multicultural pluralistic society and the the stresses of trying to meet whatever that definition is in your head are, are really stark. So maybe we can start off with uh, uh, Julian. You can start in with that and see, let's see what, what your co-producers say. Oh God, that's a hard one. <laughs> uh, I was hoping I didn't get that one. <laughs> because um, I think American Dream, um, yeah, I think you hear it a lot, especially if you're growing up uh, in an immigrant family, about, like the American Dream, like you, the land of the free, right? And I think part of it, I believe the beauty of this country um, is that there is possibility and there's opportunity. Um, and Peter and I talked about this a lot, and I, I always complained about what what defines America, what makes an American. Like I understand when he, when we say we're Korean American, like what part of me make, is Korean, but I am not entirely certain about what makes me American. Um, and you know, Peter mentioned like you know that the beauty of America is that yes, there are some flaws to America. The fact that you know there's racism present, there is you know, some disparities with, you know, um, social economic people and, and, um, status and this, this, um, drive for money, um, and, and, and wealth. But despite all that, there's an opportunity to change. The fact that we're not always going to be, as long as those who are, are eager and who are really willing to fight against that fight, um, there's a chance for us to win. And I think that's what makes America beautiful. And that's what he told me. I remember this. And I, I, I had a little, um, pondering moment to that, to let that really like sink in to really think about what that meant. And I think that is true that the fact that in America, yes, there's a crazy amount of flaws and there's some deep scarred history behind it, but there's also the possibility of changing the narrative of what it means to be American. So. I think when you think about when our parents first came to America, um, the American dream that they thought, which was, you know, comfortable life, wealth, and, um, you know, just, you know, something that's better than where they were coming from, you know, in, in their hometown or home country. Um, but for us, I think that American dream is a slightly different. I think what we try to strive for is equality. What we try to strive for is um, a vision, is to be seen and is to be recognized. And that is that, you know, America is not oppressing those who are weak and, uh, yeah, those who, uh, and then we help and support those who are in need. So, yeah, I think as second generation, the, the vision is slightly different, but I think the, the idea is still the same in terms of that, you know, we could always dream for it and then we could always hope for that to come true. Yeah. <laughs> Peter, do you have anything to add? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, we, um, I think, I think, okay, when we talk, when we think about our, our, our family, our roots, um, like our parents, um, even our grandparents, I mean, I think we have to think about context and, um, and why American dream would mean something different, you know, for each generation. So for me, it, it always goes to, you know, I had a chance to, um, overhear a conversation my grandfather was having with like, some buddies at a park and he was you know saying like oh you know our generation like you know they went to war and everything we're really hungry and his point of pride was at least I didn't let my kids starve and that and and that just 
you know, like we complain about a lot of things as kids growing up here, but it, it wasn't that. And so like thinking about that's where we came from. And then when, whether it's our grandparents or parents thinking about the American dream, the plenty and, and just not a war-torn country, like that was what it was for them and whether they've achieved it, um, whole different story. <laughs> but I guess when it, you know, that question is posed on our generation as the kids who grew up here, educated, um, fighting to sustain, you know, the American, uh, flag as kids, um, we see the inequality and, and we recognize those aren't the same problems, but we still have these whole slew of other problems that we need to tackle. And so, that American dream for me is um, everything that's written in the Constitution, the, all the ideals of what this country can be, and 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 working towards the goal of really making that a reality for all people living in this country. And so that would be the American dream. I hope it's not dead, and I hope uh, we can just keep working at it um, and and work towards it as a community because you know. And one person can't do it alone. So, um, yeah, that's that's my hope, um, and hope that the dream is still alive, and and perhaps sooner rather than later, we can see a day where everybody feels a bit better about their situation. I I like that because it is generation specific, right? The definition from time to, from time to time and space to space, and it's really um, you know, we always hear about this experiment that's still going on, but I, I, I like how you, you mention how hopeful you still are, because I think that's what impels a lot of um, our discussion, as well as most artistic efforts and technical efforts and academic efforts to try and understand um, or come to a deeper understanding of what uh, the country really is. So Kat, what's what's your take on that question? Is it still worth striving for? Um, I do agree in part with both Julian and Peter, but I think having lived and grown up in that kind of drudgery as a second generation immigrant or child of immigrant parents and having seen a lot of drudgery, I will have to say I've been a little jaded. So the American dream, I just feel like it's a legal fiction and it's something that we are grown, growing up, um, you know, kind of hoping for, as Peter was saying, hoping that it is alive. But um, like Julian touched upon it, it has different definitions. And the juxtaposition is the different definition for what it means as an immigrant or children of immigrants versus Americans who are already here. The attainability of such is so vast in contrast between the two because it's something that I feel like is harder to achieve as children of immigrants because the American dream, there's like three layers to it. It's a social thing, an economical thing, and racial thing. Three of those things that are very hard for us to attain in terms of an equality kind of uh it, an equal kind of a space. And so for Americans that were already here and planted and their lives started here, the American dream is, I think, you know, just exist, existing. They don't have to kind of highlight that they have a dream. However, I do, you know, I, despite my jaded, like kind of, you know, disposition, I must, you know, agree with my colleague, Peter, that it is something that is very hopeful 
you know, why would we, you know, not work hard if it wasn't something that we have hope for? Hope is the reason why we are trying to, you know, tell our stories or achieve this thing. And specifically for Asian Americans, I it would be remiss for me to not say um, the American dream. There's a specific blueprint for us, and it's doctor, lawyer, engineer, or something, and that is what you need to do. Here is the blueprint from your parents, and that's what you need to achieve. And if we do it, I think that's where um, I think one of the um, presenters, Isabel, she said, if they do well, we do well. So I think that's kind of a way that we would achieve it, and that's how our parents will feel that, oh, you know what? We actually did achieve some semblance of American dream. So. I love that. By the way, Kat Kim has a background in law, in case you were wondering. So uh, it kind of makes sense that she kind of, you know, she touched both sides of the scale there in her answer. I love that. Um, <laughs> let's start with you, Kat, with the next question then that was posed by Julia. Why was there no discussion uh, regarding, you know, the emotional bomb that was lobbed by Oma, the mother, to her husband, Appa, about their relationship, things that had gone wrong in it. Like, like why, why was there just like this hurtful kind of moment there? Because it did remind me of how certain things are just not said. And also if they are said, it's not further discussed. Like, right. let's face it, most immigrant families, they have to deal with a lack of self-awareness. Right. And they don't have the tools uh, for discovering themselves and why they feel a certain way and why they're acting a certain way. So was that intentional or was it not? I mean, I think it's all showing the authenticity of what that life is like. So anything that we put in, I would like to say that any conversation, any kind of emotional like push and pull, it has to be intentional because these are all things that we said to one another, the dialogue that kids have with their parents. These are things Julian and Peter have said with their parents, the conversations that we had. So it was very intentional. And I think we wanted to show as much reality as possible living in that um you know, in, in that space. But to answer that question, I think there's uh, two parts to that. The first thing is there's a lot of shame in Asian American and Korean American families. Um, we don't talk about things unless, you know, they shed a great light on us. We went to a great school. We have a great business. You know, everything is going well. But all this inner turmoil that's going in the family, we don't want to discuss it because it's going to paint us in a bad picture. So the first part of that is shame. The second part I would like to say is, you know, when our parents came over here, life is just not easy. You know, racially, socially, economically, it's not easy. So I don't think they even had, like you said, the tools and they don't even have the space or the time to sit down, be with their emotions or be with this like hardship and kind of process that. They don't even know what that is. So I think because it's kind of like buried in mom and it's like just like being buried for all of these years. And finally, I think it had to blow up because she saw a similarity in her and Hyunny, and she didn't want Hyunny to kind of mim mimic and just follow in those footsteps because look where it got to her. But is that necessarily bad? I mean, if I look at it as a third person, they're a family, they're together, and they still love each other. Is that necessarily bad? So that's you know, my answer to the, that question. And I thought it was a very, very uh, thoughtful question. So thank you for that. Peter. Uh, 
Cat Cat nailed it. So uh, <laughs> I don't have anything else to add. Actually, I I have something to say. Um, because what's funny is we actually wrote and filmed the response scene that was never made into the movie, and this was one of the scenes that. I think our actor Charles Yu, who played father, like it was one of his favorite scenes. But I was, I actually was very curious. Like, oh right, we did film this. So after, after Julia mentioned that, I was like, I looked up the script and said, like, what, what happened in the script? What dialogue was actually happening? And it's funny. It's like interesting reading it through again. But um, basically, the dad confronts the mom, um, and the mom, and then the dad says. The dad asks, "Like, do you do you hate? Like, do you regret meeting me, marrying me?" And the mom responds, "I don't know." Like, kind of like in a playful way. Like she starts off, and then the mom says, "Like, I don't know if it's a blessing or a curse." Um, and then he responds back, saying, um, "Listen, like, let's talk about Danny." And really, what what that shows was it's it's for them, or at least for our parents, um, the focus wasn't really about let's save our marriage. But it's about what can we do for our kids, and the conversation continues on about Danny signing for uh, uh, dad signing for Danny, saying like, "Oh, I think you're, you know, he's good. Let's give him a chance." And mom saying, "Why are you doing this to me?" Um, and uh, it's very interesting that you know for them it's a very sacrificial thing. You know, it, at that point, you know, they're old; they don't really care about themselves anymore, and they just want to focus that their kids are doing better. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that's a fun little anecdote about the insides of like the filmmaking scripts and stuff like that. But just letting you know, we had a scene there about it. Yeah. Wow. I, I think uh, we so cut it. <laughs> yeah, we yeah. cut you guys. We, we we cut it in the edit because we were like, oh, this feels uh, not very realistic. But yeah. But it's <laughs> interesting. True. It's interesting yeah. how the the omission of that has. Um, it's sparked something in this discussion. Right, right. Um, and also reflected a, <clears throat> some semblance of reality, right? I think that it does exist in a lot of families. Um, mm -hmm. So then, Peter, let me ask you, uh, I'll recap Ling's question. It was kind of a two-part. Why just the two siblings in the family uh, structure that you guys depict? And why that particular ending? Because there there was a moment when you thought, okay, definitely Danny's going to be taken off, but then he has this pivot, right? And you, you still don't know whether he ends up going, but like, is was that intentional too, or was there another cut that we don't know about? Um, so I can I'll start with the ending first. So that was the first scene we wrote, so we knew how the film was going to end, yeah. and then we built everything else around it, um, and it really did um, kind of come from you know because so much of this is, you know, uh, lived experience from, you know, like the three of us, but just also our entire community, probably everybody here, right? So we really wanted to say there is no resolution. So many of us are still living it. Life goes on. Like, I, it's it's just, you know, there is no end. So, so that was sort of what the ending represented. And then whether Kevin went to LA or not I mean I leave it up to everyone here did he go or did he not and <laughs> what, what you the ending you write for him I think almost is something that says about your outlook on you know the realities for these characters so if you wanted to leave that up to the audience um as far as uh the two siblings go i think if we had more siblings it would have cost too much money i'm just kidding um i think that 
That's um, what really... Korean parents think too. <laughs> just kidding. But I think um, really uh, we just, the two really kind of represented just you know the um, what uh, traditional um, responsibilities are expected of you know a daughter or a son. Um, as well as uh, just the older child, the younger child dynamic. Um, and, um, you know, interesting thing is, yeah, like both uh, Julian and Kat, you know, they're, they had, you know, they're two siblings. I'm the only child, so I don't have a sibling to really know what that's like. Um, and I, I think it's just that the two just was enough to, you know, tell a story and all the messing that we needed to. Um, yeah. Um, anybody else want to answer that? Give their own take? No, I think, I think that's, that's correct. Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty much it? Yep. Okay. Then uh, finally, before we move on to some really interesting questions that are being fed to me from uh, our audience, uh, including one about food, which is really important because it, it was um, it was another main character almost. Um, from Alex uh, Ho, our faculty member from Brooklyn College and BMCC, how does activism inform your work? And did it somehow play a role in the development of this film, in producing it? <clears throat> did you find yourselves like changing course or deciding to go a different way because of any particular messaging about your, your civic, political, ethnic life living in America? That's how I read Alex's question. Am I sort of? That's that's perfect. So yeah, okay. uh, even better. <laughs> okay, Julian, why don't you uh, try taking that on? Yeah, here? absolutely. I think this film, and we can probably say, was made by community. And then this is definitely um, big thanks to Korean American Story and their role into, into this film. If it wasn't for them, I think obviously they're the ones who kind of spearheaded with production, you know, financing, getting us the right resources um, to actually get production going, but also um, the kind of research and, and studies that they have gone through um, behind their, their organization and what it means to be Korean American and the Korean American narrative. So that really helped us. But going back to Alice, your, um, your point, um, if it wasn't for Korean American Story and their support, I don't think we were able to make such an unapologetic Asian American or Korean American Kind of narrative you know they gave us such freedom to tell a story that's authentic to us um and i know that's not the case that many filmmakers have to go through you know there's always a barrier of what network wants what you know some financiers want like they want to know what sells they, they want to imply Im implement certain things but with current with current american story there was no such limit to that they just said you know make sure you do it make sure it's authentic and true and, um, you know, we're here to support whatever you need. Um, and yeah, it was, it's been a really amazing and blessing ride with working with them. Um, and I'm proud to say like that I felt more plugged into the community because of Korean American Story. Um, and, you know, I think despite, I, you know, Peter and I, we always talked about, you know, working on a story like this, but, um, it wasn't until like they kind of really adopted us and embraced us that we felt like, oh, we can be part of a community. And it felt very, um, for me personally, like just very like at home. Um, and I, I think that was very great. And the response after we showed the movie, 
um, was overwhelming that it goes beyond just the Korean American experience, but a lot of people also resonated with um, the story resonated with them. So yeah, it was really humbling just to experience that. Pat, what did you think about those questions? Um, I thought it was a great question. And um, I really thought the activism portion was very important to say because I totally um, resoundingly agree with Julian in terms of the connection with Korean American story. Um, just by their name, Korean American Story, it's just an organization that says our stories matter, who we are matter, and not just on a Korean level, but Asian Americans as well. And on a more macro level, um, it's like representation for who we are and representation for people like us, you know, Asian Americans on the big screen. That was very important for us, too. And just on set also, um, all of the staff that were involved, we um, had a, a majority of them having Asian and Korean backgrounds. And that was also purposeful because um, not just in the, you know, in the camera, on in front of the camera, but in the back of the camera, we wanted to also provide opportunities and have more connections with people that are like us, like-minded and aligned with the things that we wanted to say and the stories we wanted to um, tell. Peter? Uh, no, but uh, yeah, Julianne and Kat also yeah, nailed it. <laughs> what they said, okay. Yeah. Cool. Um, well, that that ends up this portion. We're now going to uh, take some questions from the floor. And I'm going to start off with the food question, because there, you guys even had an Insta campaign going where you highlighted you guys cooking certain um, certain dishes at home, like like getting your hands like right into the ingredients and showing like how you prepare some of the items that we saw on screen in Happy Cleaners. So um, this uh, one audience member asked um, what roles you wanted the food to play in this story, because from the, the pickle pickling scene of the OEG between Kevin and mom, and he's tasting it, and then he's talking about his food truck dreams. And, you know, we see a, more than a few times, um, not only everyday home food, like traditional Korean food, but the mashup, you know, with like spam, you know, figuring in there so prominently and gosh if you were not hungry after you watched this film there was something wrong with you um so what was the role that you wanted food to play um peter let's start with you uh food you know we should have ca uh, credited you know food in the cast but yeah food was a, a character um just because um and I don't think this is just specifically, you know, Korean American, but I would say maybe, you know, mostly Asian American uh, communities, I would agree to the statement um, that food is how people say I love you. And um, that those words were never uttered by any character in the film, but it's been said many times over a meal and making food for each other. So the food was a very important, uh, uh, just part of our culture. And uh, we just wanted to really highlight that. Julian? Yeah, I, I agree with that. Yeah. Uh, food was like, um, it's, it was a bridge to communicate between, you know, our kind of barriers and walls that, you know, we build as Asian Americans. So yeah, it was, it was very important. And we just like food. We just, we just <laughs> love eating. So we was like, yeah, let's, let's write it in and put it in the script. Chat? <laughs> um, all I have to say is, did you eat? That means I love you. That means I'm sorry. That means, you know, did you bring that to school? That means who was bothering you? That means everything else. So that's what it meant. 
Nice. I, I love that. Um, let's see. Jillian, you mentioned the barriers, and there's one question here about language barrier. Uh, the question is, did the levels of language fluency also lead to misunderstandings? As in asking, um, they're, they're, they're asking this because they are writing a memoir about not being fluent um, in their parents' languages, and their parents are not fluent in English. So they're I guess they're trying to understand how this movie came together and if you were, uh, if, if that posed a problem, but also, um, is it a part of the story? I'm just going to speak on, like, aside from the film, but man, it's hard to talk to my mom and my dad. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just so hard to communicate with them. Like, like the other day, um, we were, there was like a slight family argument and like we were all sitting down and trying to communicate things over but even though like I'm, I, I think I'm pretty fluent in Korean I understand Korean pretty well like there's always a level of misunderstanding that happens for some reason and I don't know if it's like a language issue um but just um yeah I don't know I can't I can't say if it's a language problem per se I definitely know like it's harder to um, communicate when you have to translate in your head before you speak it. Um, and I, I, I understand that struggle, but just for me, I'm just going to vent. Like I, it was so, so like frustrating <laughs> trying to tell like mom, like, no, it's not about that. That's not why, you know, you, we have these issues or, you know, like, like basically my mom was saying, Oh, you don't take care of me. You don't love me. I'm like, no, like I don't have to say it, but I, I do. And, um, that kind of stuff. So. I don't know, like, I, it's it's hard to really fully understand our parents. And even till today, like, even a couple of days ago, I feel like I thought I knew what our parents have gone through, but I guess I don't. <laughs> Sorry, Peter or Kat? Yeah, I mean, as far as just to the film, I mean, uh, Definitely being, uh, mixing the language is a very intentional move, um, just because I think so many of, you know, multilingual families, I mean, it's, it's not just ever straight English. Uh, and there's certainly, um, yeah, uh, misunderstanding because the lack of perf uh, perfect proficiency in all language, you know, happens all the time. Um, but yeah, as far as the, the film goes, I mean, we just really wanted to kind of capture that, you know, like mom and dad, when they argue, they're not going to all of a sudden just argue in English and they're going to fall back on the language that's most comfortable, you know, to them. And the kids are going to be the same because it's like you try to translate something and, you know, your parents language, it doesn't come out right. And you're like, you end up blowing up in English. Right. And they're like, yeah, you don't know. They understood you, but you hope <laughs> something got across. So, so we just wanted to, yeah, really capture that as much as possible language <clears throat> in the film. Along those lines, there was another question about the Korean and the Konglish. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know, Konglish is the mix of Korean and English, um, either in pronunciation or in the actual construction of the word. So, like, Dika stands for digital camera <laughs> back in the 90s, and Computa is how computer would be said in um, the... Uh, the Korean transliteration of how it sounds. So the question is, um, did the actors help shape 
the multilingual dialogue in any way? Were they able to weigh in because some, uh, to one of them was actually, um, uh, she'd been acting, the one who played uh, the mom, Hyungwa Lim. She played the mom and she had an acting background. I mean, was were they a part of the dialogue and, and choosing certain words and expressions? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, so many of us who grew up in Flushing, we think our Korean is good. <laughs> but <laughs> this is... Uh, was definitely a humbling moment when we presented the script and uh, they're like, you know, spell checking, grammar checking, and it's like, this is not a correct expression. <laughs> they're like, oh, wow. So, okay. So, so we definitely got schooled. Um, and um, I think specifically the, the Korean dialogue, not the Congress, not the English, the Korean phrasing, um, you know, the, 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 the actors who are much more fluent, um, they definitely... Um, help smooth things out. So for the collaborative effort. Yeah, we were worried um, in the beginning, like, should we be intentional about doing Konglish because it's going to be subtitle nightmare and maybe people who are not familiar with Korean or um, if they get lost, you know, as they follow. But I think, um, I guess it, it was okay. <laughs> like if for all of you non-Korean non speaking folks, like, um, was it hard to follow? I'm curious about that too, because uh, yeah, like we we were always like we're in defense of oh should we try to push for Konglish, but at the in the end we decided to stick with our guts and go with what's true to us. But yeah. Okay. Um, let's see. There's a kind of a personal question here. Uh, we've got about. 20 minutes left uh, in this session. So let's move it along to <clears throat> question about the parents. Would you say the apologies in the movie follow your real lives? What were the things that were said to you? <laughs> Kat, you, you <laughs> immediately yeah. showed how you feel about that. Do you want to tackle that one first? Yeah, sure. Um, I actually, when I was thinking about the mom and daughter scene, I actually did like a straw poll of all my female uh, Korean American friends and said, did your mom ever uh, apologize to you? Like, what was that like? Did you guys ever have a fight? And I actually got some of their responses and the great majority was, no, I don't think so. Not really. I think we just talked about eating afterwards. And I was like, oh, okay, perfect. However, just like on a personal level, I do remember having a conversation with my mom and like, you know, Korean moms, sometimes they could be a little over dramatic and say something like, well, what if I died? And like, you know, what, you know, it was like that kind of like um inspiration that you know, was part of that dialogue. And it's like the last things that I want to do if I were to go and things like that. And I think there was one time like my mom actually did say, you know, I don't need to worry about you. I, I am proud of you and things like that. And it's like one thing a lot of parents like as I'm growing older, I hear them say is, oh, there's nothing better than having a daughter. And it's like, yeah, you know, I'm glad you finally like know that, know that now. So it, it was kind of like that. But um. Yeah, it was just, um, I would have to say that it is some part true and some part hopeful or some part that you wish your mom would have said, like those daughters where like it was never said. Maybe this is something beautiful and something that's hopeful. And even if your mom never said it, she always meant it. That's what, kind of like what we wanted to convey. Yeah. Nice. Peter or Julian? 
Oh uh, yeah, totally. It was uh, well. I think because of like what Kat mentioned with the you know asking around and everything, um, it was definitely more aspirational. That was like the one moment um, we hoped that you know folks would be able to have a conversation around and promote healing. Yeah, my mom actually apologized to me a couple of days ago. Um, yeah, it wasn't. Uh, I didn't know how to respond, um, to be quite honest. But um, when it was, yeah, she was just very like apologetic of everything, um, saying like sorry for you know giving you a hard time with your life. Uh, sorry that I could not be a better mom. Uh, and sorry that you know your life is miserable and couldn't do better. And yeah, it was, and you know, she was crying. I was saying, no, like, you know, you did your best. And I hope you understand, like, you know, I, I appreciate and very thankful for all the things you've done. So we had a very like, honest heart to heart conversation. It wasn't expected. Like, I didn't think it would be that kind of conversation. But, um, yeah, I think when we first wrote the script, it was kind of like a dream, you know, like, I think circularly, we wanted to have that kind of conversation with our parents to, um, in hopes to repair of any kind of brokenness we had. Um, because I think at the end of the day, you know, no matter what, there's still some worry and, and linger, like thoughts about our parents. And yeah, I think we do love our parents, you know? I think we do appreciate all the things they've done for us. Um, uh, you know, despite the hardships and troubles, um, but as Asian Americans, especially as a Korean American immigrant family, those kind of things are never communicated, right? So this was part of like the reason why we wanted to work on the film in a, in a kind of therapeutic way of kind of solving those issues and hoping that people could also um, go through that um, process with us and hopefully recover from that. So, so yeah. Sorry is a strong word, and I never thought like it would move me just when I actually heard it, but um, but it did, and um, I hope that everyone could have a conversation, you know, with their parents, um, watch the film together, and uh, yeah, start a conversation and dialogue. Wow, thank you for sharing that. Um, uh, I like the takeaway from your comment there about how powerful sorry can be. Um, I think that could apply in many spheres of life. Let's move on to a question about gender and gender roles. Um, this question is posed like this. Regarding the representation of women, how did you decide to balance mirroring an imperfect present in gender roles, mo parenthesis, mom, grandma's domestic and caregiver roles, daughter being defined by marriage status, versus showing the possibilities of lives that Korean and AAPI women in general can choose that are different today, such as, um, or different from what was defined before today, i.e. the roles that are less defined by patriarchy. So it sounds like you were, um, you somehow hit a nerve uh, with some audience members about how you're showing, you know, there's choice and there's also not so much choice and there's imposition and there's also pushback to that. Um, 
how did you decide how, what you were going to show in that tension? Just trying to um, read the question. Um, Do you want me to read it again? Uh, or, or Kat or Peter, do you want to answer first? That's like a final exam question, and I'm not ready, Professor. <laughs> no, but no, it, no, it's an excellent question, but. Okay. I'll take a stab at it because this is what I think. So, um, all in all, the question is asking how we wanted to present that, right? Okay. It also goes back to how realistic we wanted to be, how personal it was in terms of our experiences. And, you know, Peter, Julian, and I, we are children of immigrant parents. We have similar common themes in our stories, but we have a different immigration story, but common themes we like to keep. So in terms of gender roles, honestly, it's all wrapped up in the culture. So Koreans, when they immigrated here in like the 60s and 70s, there's this thing called culture freeze because they're bringing all of that baggage into America in the 60s and 70s. So all of that culture is brought with them and it's frozen because they're frozen in that 60s and 70s time. Us being born out of that, we are learning the cultural gender like inequality in, in a family, how, you know, my brother is the firstborn son. So obviously... He, you know, like these are things like that's just ingrained in us, like, and it's through no fault of anybody else. It's just what our parents know. And that's what they're um, putting on us. So in turn, we're kind of playing on those gender roles. It's almost internalized. But here's where it gets a little fun, because I feel like we are a wedge group between our parents and our future generations, because I feel like the future generations have more choice. Women are a bit more freer in the Asian American family. They don't need to be doctors, lawyers, or homemakers. They don't need to like make food for the husband to go to work. All of that, it gets a little bit broken. However, me as a wedge group, there are still cultural and um, expected gender roles that I know that I've internalized and I do play it out. Even though that, you know, I don't necessarily need to do those things. And I'm like, oh, woman power, yes. But there are just some things that are internalized that I, you know, I can't shake off. It's how do I undo, a, you know, a habit that's, been ingrained in me. So I think with each successive culture, it'll get diluted. So hopefully I'm less than those generals and then my generation after will be even less than that and so on and so forth. Yeah, so that's my personal take on it. But Julian, Peter, I would love to hear your um, thoughts on that too, as, as men, you know. Yeah, I think in terms of that, we tried our best to balance it out with the aunt character, which we never really got to tell her narrative. Um, but, you know, she's a single woman and kind of, you know, um, driven by her career and not living the traditional Korean norm. Uh, and there's like a scene where we had with Aunt and Honey and they're talking about their futures and um, she advises Honey not to follow those norms. And yeah, it's unfortunate, like we couldn't really explore deeper into into her character and her narrative, but we were definitely, um, I think, aware of that. Um, but yes, going back to what Kat was saying, we just wanted to show what we observed from what our mom was like, what, what my mom says and what our mom, you know, and grandma does. And 
uh, that, that, that culture and what it was like to grow up in that culture and what was expected of Chani to be in that kind of setting. Uh, and do I, I think that the question of do we agree with that is a completely different answer. Um, so, but for the, for the sake of the story and for the setting, I think that's where uh, we landed on. Um, I think so. Oh, yeah, it, it, it does go back to sort of our, um, you know, commitment to trying to capture like what we experienced and saw as, you know, much as, you know, as close to reality as possible. And, um, yeah, there is a lot of, um, male favoritism. And me being a male, like I am, I am, you know, I I have that privilege, and I uh, just uh, wanted to, you know, part of what we can do is capture it and then present it the way it is, so that we can point it out. Hey, what can we do to not perpetuate these things for the next generation? Um, and so that was kind of where you know. Uh, as far as gender roles and, and presenting it the way it is without, without I, yeah, I <laughs> don't agree with what happens in our families um, because it, it's heartbreaking. Um, and so hopefully um, this kind of conversations can take place after a viewing and maybe the older generations might treat their daughters differently or just their wives differently, because whatever the case may be, and we're, we're just hoping that um, it can start to spark a conversation. Oh, Vivian, you're muted. Vivian, you're uh, muted. <laughs> <clears throat> oh, sorry about that. Um, I thought the pandemic had rubbed that out of me. Um, <laughs> sorry about that. I was going to say that you guys all had so many considerations to make um, because you had similar experiences, but you also um, had very individual experiences. So as filmmakers who had like a similar goal, you all wanted to be um, telling a story that was really true. true um, Maybe you can talk to us about what happens after this. So my first question to you would be, what was it like being received, having this film received by the community, whether that was the greater Korean American community or your families or your friends? And then how does that inform you going forward? What's next for you guys? Anyone, anyone take it. <laughs> um, sorry, could, uh, well, I guess the whole process of working on Happy Cleaners um, was such a pivotal moment in my life. It, it, it just was uh, truly defining of my identity crisis as a Korean American and my identity crisis you know, as a filmmaker. And it opened up a door that I did not, that I thought was closed forever, which was, I am not going to be part of this society because of my race. 
And the other thing is that these kind of stories are unable to be told because they just don't sell. But the fact that both were opened up to me, the fact that, no, you could be part of a community. There are many like you who embrace you for who you are. And, you know, you have brothers and sisters to, you know, work with together and share these experiences um, really was an enlightening moment for me. And not only that, I had such great mentors, you know, such like A. Shaley, who really showed me that, no, like, you know, this, you're not alone. Like, we lived through this before you. And we could help you um, process those times. So I, I, you know, he helped me so much throughout, like, my personal reasons to overcome, you know, at being a dad and, you know, trying to, trying to navigate through this life, you know, as a, as a now entering middle age or late <laughs> 40s kind of man. Um, so, so that was very, very, very um, humbling for me. And the fact that, like, these stories, you know, you don't have to tell these stories for mainstream because it could still resonate with a lot of people. It might be a very small group of people. Yes, you're not going to make, you know, lots of money. Like, let's be real. Like, that's not the case what we're, or what we were after working on this movie. But the fact that we could talk to people like you and connect with people like you, like, I think that's a win for me, like, personally. Like, I wanted this um, film to start dialogue, to start um, a conversation and hopefully, you know, open up um, certain things with people and in, in their hearts. So that was that was, you know, um, my experience with Happy Cleaners. Currently, I think, you know, I think we're all kind of um, working on what to do next. Uh, we're all trying to figuring out what's next in our life, you know, with uh, everything moving around. So, yeah, I guess um, that's that's it for me. <laughs> Um, I'd like to also add, um, we had a screening at, at Flushing Town Hall, and, you know, that was a meaningful screening because it was in the very town where it's the backdrop of this film. And I remember at H.A., we were doing kind of like a powwow before the screening, and he said something that was so great, and it really hit me. I'm sorry, Aisha, I've never told you, but thank you. But this is what you said. Um, he said, yeah, we should be making more of this. Bad ones, good ones, mediocre ones. We should be making more of these stories with all of the Korean Americans and Asian American stories and just that. And I said, you know what? Why not? I want to make a bad film. I want to make a bad story, you know, because our white counterparts have what? Emily goes to Paris. Emily meets a boy. There's a story about Emily who is in a horror film. Everything is just like bad, mediocre and everything else in between. So it's like why not us so that really hit me hard and it's like more and more I see more stories being told of the um, Asian American experience I see so many books being written about people that look like me and have like similar experiences so it's like we should be making so much more and I think Charles even wrote in the comments we should make more and I totally agree and make bad ones too why not there's so many bad movies out there. Like I'd like, I'd rather see more people that look like me making, I mean, you know, but we should make as much as we can because, you know, we're here, we're part of the American history. We're part of the American makeup and like, we're not going anywhere anytime soon. So. Yeah. I mean, I think for me personally, the, this project really, um, it's not supposed to, it's not the representative film for, you know, the Korean American experience or the Asian American people. It is just one of them. And so with that said, uh, it's sort of an origin story for us, for lack of better words, of maybe uh, uh, an attempt to explain why we're wired the way we are. And um, for those 
from the community. It's something, um, you know, again, just sort of seeing that um, the, the, the common experiences, you know, in this format, but for those who are not from the community, you know, like this is how we are and hopefully understand us, you know, let's connect on the humanity here. So that was kind of the hope. Um, and then I think, um, yeah, the spiritual successor uh, where Tony and Kevin's, when, when they grow up or as they sort of tackle this life, what, what, what do their stories look like? And those are the stories that I, you know, I want to work on and, and um, hopefully be able to make another one. And uh, we can have this all over again. Well, I think you've um, got a captive audience here and a bit of a fan base that's already brewed. One comment in the chat room, uh, the chat box says, I'm a South Asian American person who watched this film and it resonated a lot for me as well. It was beautifully filmed. So people will be watching for more from you guys. And uh, hopefully there are some students and uh, other guests who joined us who are somehow inspired to tell their own stories because the more that are out there, like you said, Kat, um, the more fully we understand uh, the American experience, right? So thank you to our filmmakers. Thank you for making Happy Cleaners a reality. Thank you to our guest commentators, to Isabel Laos and Julia Chen, Ling Ren and Alex Ho. And thank you very much to Dr. Sonia Munshi, as well as H.J. Lee um, of ARI and Korean American Story, respectively. And I, my bad, I forgot to mention Vivian Louie, um, was also a huge part of helping to bring this together. You can wave, Louie, <laughs> wave Vivian, like right now. Um, she's the director of uh, a Asian American Studies at Hunter College and a professor there too of urban policy and planning. And um, we're so glad that so many of you, I think dozens joined at one point. We had like, I think a high of 63 uh, guests. Um, they They wanted to hear more about how this story came together. So thank you to all of you. Um, for liking it and loving it as much as you did. And I, I should also mention it's it's available to stream on a number of platforms. So uh, please like check out Apple TV and iTunes, Google Play, Vimeo On Demand and YouTube. Share it and pass it along so that um, more people will know the story and maybe uh, think of their own, the pages of their own story. So... Thanks again. It was so enjoyable having all of you as part of this and making it possible. And uh, good luck to everybody who wants to um, continue talking. Change the narrative. Thank you.